You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks supporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. And not joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Men. Frank is out tonight. It is a Thursday night. Obviously, if you are a longtime listener to the Locked on Bucks podcast, you know that he is out on Fridays often because he is traveling for work on Thursday nights. So it's with much regret and much disappointment and much sadness and probably a little bit of anger uh, that I welcome my most bitter rival and hated enemy, Matt Velasquez of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, on to Lockdown Bucks. Matt, how are you doing? Not happy to be here, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, but, but I am Miami, so you know, in terms of being here, I am happy to be here in Miami talking to you. I, I can take it or leave it, but you know, I guess that's one way to kill 30, 40, 50, whatever number of minutes we end up talking. Yeah, no, I, and it's certainly a good place to do so. Um, so Matt is in Miami. Uh, I skipped this road trip, so I'm not in Miami. I am here in Milwaukee, which where it's actually been kind of like warm and foggy because so much snow is melting, and that's all great. Um, but obviously Miami is much better than that. So kind of what we wanted to do, we had we put it out on Twitter, asked for a couple questions. We'll get to some of those at the end. Um, and then I kind of just wanted to talk to Matt about, you know, bigger picture ideas. It's kind of the same idea that we're, that Frank and I were talking about last night that, you know, there's not a ton uh, of game analysis left to do uh, with, uh, obviously there are 14 games left, but in those games, you know, the Bucks do pretty much the same thing. Uh, they don't win them all, but you know, they execute all in pretty much the exact same way. They're, trying to execute the same things every night. Like they're just pretty much the same team. So instead we're focusing on bigger picture things. So Matt, last night we talked a little bit about stuff. We're looking, uh, uh, you know, kind of looking at in the final 14 games, like what is it that could actually matter? Like, what is it that, you know, you're thinking about, is there anything that kind of comes to your mind about what you might be looking at or thinking about in the final 14 games when I don't want to say the results don't matter game to game, but game to game, there's not, you know, a ton of stuff to learn. You know, I think I'd start with, you know, George Hill. He's listed as probable for Friday's game, Miami, Uh, whether he plays that game or not. You know, he will be back soon. He was somebody who really stabilized that second unit, has been a really solid defensive presence all year, whether or not he's scoring, um, which obviously Bud loves. Um, yeah. And, you know, like seeing how healthy he is and if he can kind of get back into the form that he was in pre-injury, uh, that's something I'll be keeping an eye on. Um, I think, you know, just seeing how, how much Pau Gasol um, can grow in his chemistry and his uh, ability to help this team. I, I don't know if he will be a regular in the rotation uh, for the rest of the season or even in the playoffs. Um, you know, that, that kind of remains to be seen. And there's an argument to be made that he really doesn't need to be, uh, you know, barring 
uh, any any injuries in front of him or you know specific matchups where he he may be useful. Um, but you know, I think it makes sense for Mike Budenholzer to try and give him some minutes and let him get some opportunities to um, you know work with some of the guys and and you know feel it out because th- there may be a time where he is necessary. Um, you know, even if that chance is minimal. Um, so just you know let him get a few minutes here and there, see how he can help. Um, you know, and then kind of go from there. I, I, I'm happy that we kind of hit on some of the same things. We, we mentioned both of those things, and it kind of goes into one of our questions. So I guess I'm just going to throw it in now. Uh, Mitchell Maurer asks, you know, is George Hill's groin secretly a key to the Bucks' playoff hopes? And first off, the phrasing of that question is uncomfortable. Um, but second, I would say I don't even think it's secretly. Like, I, I do think it is – like George Hill is hugely important to what the Bucks are trying to do in this postseason. And I understand that, you know, we're going to list off five or six players before him about, you know, who's the best player on the team. But I do think he is that important. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's very understated in what he does. I think if you watch the game and you're just looking at offense, you're be like, why is George Hill, like, out there? Like, he hasn't really... <laughs> gotten into much of an offensive flow he can uh, he, he can score the basketball in, in a variety of ways he can shoot the three he can drive he can score um he can facilitate all those types of things um but his biggest impact is at the defensive end i mean in terms of on off like when he's on the court you know the bucks have an elite defense it doesn't matter if he's out there with the starters or you know with the second unit or whatever it may be you know he he provides a steadiness at, at that defensive end that you know you, you can't just find anywhere uh, I think that you know, obviously he has that veteran experience of going deep in the playoffs. You know that the guys like you know Pat Connaughton, Dante Divincenzo don't have. Um, he he keeps his feet uh, more than Pat ever will. <laughs> you know, you know Pat, Pat does ha- have a proclivity for uh, making you know high flying blocks, but he also you know more often gets pumped and flies almost some high day. flying blow, blow bys as well uh you know he just yes. goes flying by yeah i'd agree yes and and you know it's it's who he is and that's that's fine um you know it's it's not ideal but you know that, that's part of who he is and and george Hill doesn't do that like he just he he knows what he's supposed to do he does it well he he has those long arms and long legs where he can keep up with guys and, and pester ball handlers and um just is really solid and so you know, the, the more that he is available, you know, the, the higher percentage that he's feeling health-wise, uh, it, it should only help. Yeah, I'll be interested to see if he does end up playing on Friday night. Um, you know, I, I think often when guys have gotten to that stage where it is, you know, probable, like, that means they're probably ready to play. And sometimes that means he'll get a bunch of minutes. Sometimes that means he'll just be available and Bud won't use him. Um, but I do think, you know, ultimately we're probably getting closer and closer to actually seeing him. And I would totally agree that he is hugely important. And I think anyone who's listened to this podcast for the last two weeks is is probably tired of at this point hearing me drone on and on about how important he is. Um, you mentioned defensive uh, ability with him and just how important he is there. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, Frank and I have talked about this, but 
you are someone that had an all NBA vote last year. You had an MVP vote last year. Um, so I'm not asking you to tell me exactly how you are doing this voting. Um, but oh, thank God. <laughs> I, I know we have a long, we still have a long ways to get there. So uh, I'm sure at some point we're going to have conversations about this and many conversations uh, during pregames and road trips and all of that as we figure, as I try to, you know, as I serve as your sounding board for ideas about all of this, but um, I've never had anyone on the podcast more qualified to actually talk about this with. So all defense, Giannis, Brooke, Bledsoe, I think all three have compelling uh, resumes. Uh, I think Giannis is probably a no-doubter just because of name recognition, the fact that he's had it before. And I mean, you can just kind of see like the chase downs, all of that stuff. I think Brooke and Bledsoe are you know, a little bit harder to, to really parse out and to really say like, yes, these guys deserve all defensive teams. Do you think one of those two has a better chance than the other? Or, or and I guess who, who would it be if you do think that? I do think one of them has a better chance than the other. And I think that the person who has a better chance is Eric Bledsoe. Uh, and the reason I say that is because there's a lot more competition among big men. Um, there's, there's only two all-defensive teams. There's one spot for a center on each team. I think Rudy Gobert, just because of name recognition, because of you know the fact that he is the reigning defensive player of the year uh, and, and he is so important to what the Jazz do, I think that he'll get one of those spots. Yep. Um, I think Miles Turner, if he's countered as a center instead of a forward, which I think he will be, I think he's probably the favorite for the other of those spots. Mm. I, I think what Brooke does is really – understated and I haven't looked at the stats a ton. Uh, maybe I'm totally off on that, but I know that Miles Turner has been having a really good defensive season. Um, I'm pretty sure his blocks are among the highest in the NBA, just not looking at it uh, recently. Uh, and, and Brooke, you know, he does contest everything and like and players shoot a really low percentage against him. And if you're doing it based on analytics, like he's going to have a compelling case. But I think when you look at guards, it's, it's really hard to find guards who who rate uh, really yeah. highly in, in all these different defensive metrics, um, or at least rate higher than Bledsoe. I mean, I think Ben Simmons is somebody who's probably up there uh, in, in a couple uh, categories. Paul George is going to be categorized as forward. Uh, he'll definitely be on the first team all defense. Uh, it might be him and Giannis uh, as first team all defense. You know, Kawhi Leonard it just has the reputation where I think he'll he'll get some some looks. Um, Drew Holiday, maybe he gets hurt by the fact that he's actually hurt, like and he's yep. missed so many games, um, you know, because he's somebody who could probably be up there. So I think you know, with the numbers skewing uh, generally in Bledsoe's favor, I mean, he's not super duper high in deflections. He leads the team in deflections, but he's not like you know super duper high. Yep. You know, he's not um, kind of blowing everybody out of the water uh, in terms of regular defensive metrics. But uh, I think just when it comes to guards, he's going to be up there and. Uh, defensive rating and, and defensive, um, you know, win shares and, and all those types of things that, you know, he's going to have to get, you know, some some thought from from the voting base because, you know, who else is there? Yeah, and especially when you look at last year's team, like Victor Oladipo's first team, like his spot is now vacant. Like, and so often in the all-defensive awards, I feel like you, voters can just kind of get into like the reputation reputation based stuff where it's like okay who who had it last year um yeah he's still a good defender like 
I should vote for him again because he's very good. And uh, who could question whether or not this guy would be the right fit? So like a guy like Oladipo being heard, uh, that opens up a spot. DeJounte Murray, same thing, opens up a spot. Jimmy Butler, not hurt, but doing Jimmy Butler things the entire year. Um, I don't know how voters will will look at that. Maybe they will still think he is uh, an elite defensive guard, but also maybe they'll say, you're doing crazy stuff all the time. Maybe we shouldn't give you this vote. So uh, I think it'll it'll be really interesting to see. And I guess the big thing for me is with Bledsoe, I don't know that he – I don't know that he shuts people down in a traditional sense. And what I mean by that is like – with the Bucks defensive scheme and you know how they ask him to get over screens, get through screens, not get touched by screens, and then you know force guys from the three point line into the dead zone for Brooke to then contest. Like it's kind of uh, you know like sheep herding. Like you're trying to put push them into this area and then let them shoot from there. And you know we've seen some really bad nights from lead guards against Eric Bledsoe. I think obviously the the Steph Curry night at Oracle stands out as you're you know kind of thinking through the nights that he's had, and obviously that gets tainted a little bit because Steph left the game. But early on, like Bledsoe was kind of controlling things, and so often this year, that's what has happened to good lead guards against the Bucks. But they've still gotten shots off. They've still taken a bunch of shots. They just haven't had as good of a night as they typically have. So to me, I, I do wonder if. You know, writers from other teams uh, are going to be thinking like, oh, that was Eric Bledsoe. Like Eric Bledsoe was the reason why that guy struggled. And I, I do think there is a lot of times where you can tell that Bledsoe is really making it tough on guys. But I do wonder if that will get all the way through to, you know, writers from opposing teams. Yeah, I, I think that probably one of his best cases is people who don't watch the Bucks. You know, not not that when you watch them, you say, oh, Bledsoe's not good. But you can see uh, how you mentioned like, you know, this is a, a system that works really well, and and he has fit into that system and accepted his role, and, and he's you know done a lot of passing things off to the bigs, and so you can make the argument that Brook Lopez has been more important to the defense mm-hmm. because of the way he contests everything, and you know just with his length and, and with his decision making, you know has really been you know a huge part of their defense, and I I would subscribe to that, um, but. You know, people who don't watch are like, oh, this guy didn't do well. And, oh, Eric Bledsoe, he has really high stats. Like, you know, he must be doing great. And, like, you know, if they put out, like, a sizzle reel of, like, his top defensive plays, like, he has a bunch of them. Like, yeah. you know, that I feel like I feel like you either start with or you end with, like, his shutdown of De'Aaron Fox at the end of regulation <laughs> in Sacramento. Yeah. Like, either you leave with that and leave with your best foot forward or you, like, you know, <laughs> you hammer at home, you know, with him just, I mean, he totally shut him down, the fastest guy in the league. And he's like, you are not getting by me, period. And like, that was just, you know, an incredible play, especially given the moment in time that it happened. Um, you know, so uh, like I said, I think Brooke Lopez is probably more deserving of all defensive team honors, uh, but it's less likely to get it because of added competition uh, at his position. Whereas I think Bledsoe maybe has a better chance of making an all defensive team because it's, I mean, I, I struggle to think of, you know, lockdown defensive guards, um, you know, that just come off the top of my head. Yeah. And I, I would say, you know, I think he's in some ways benefiting from some guys getting a little bit older as well. Like, you know, you, you think of like a Mike Conley where he's aged out a little bit. Kyle Lowry was a guy that, you know, I thought perennially you could think of as like a lockdown point guard defender. And those guys are getting a little bit older. And obviously Eric Bledsoe might be the person that gets to, to fill that void. 
All right. Uh, one last thing before we hit some questions from uh, people on Twitter. Uh, I guess I'll just ask you. I know I think I've been pretty adamant about not thinking the Bucks like recent struggles after the All Star break mean a whole lot. Um, this is kind of a, a funny time of the NBA season where you know playoff teams are trying to get things right as they go to the playoffs and teams are out of it, but then also they're rebuilding and trying new guys. And like, it's just kind of a funny time of the year. Um, so do, does the Bucks' recent struggles mean anything? Do, do you think there's anything to be concerned about? I, I know one of the questions uh, that we had got on Twitter uh, was from Goodakunst man who asks, is peaking too early slash running out of gas a legit concern for this team? So I think that kind of falls in line with, you know, what's going on here. Uh, no, no, I, I'm not worried about any of this. Um, the Bucks are, str- I mean, struggling, it just is only a relevant term relative to where they've been. Uh, but they're eight and three since the all-star break, which is tied for the best record in the East since the all-star break. So that'll do. I don't know what more you want. Like I, I really don't. I mean, you know, it's it seems unreasonable uh, to ask that much more. I mean, the games that they lost, like yes, like they lost to the Phoenix Suns, who you know, by the way, have been incredibly feisty recently, uh, and beat the Warriors in Oakland. Like okay, yep. uh, they lost on a back to back with daylight savings and. Uh, having you know getting delayed by their playing getting de-iced and all this different stuff like they lost on that back-to-back to to the spurs which by the way have the longest current win streak in the nba okay uh they lost with like five guards hurt including two starters and yes like they were up by 17 on the jazz uh in that game which also was a back-to-back um you know but one of the kind of norms of the nba is teams having big leads and losing them like it happens every day to, I mean, like just right now, like I'm, you know, looking at uh, just some scores and the Celtics look dead in the water uh, and now they're leading the Kings. So you know, that, that's just kind of, that's just kind of what happens. And, you know, maybe that's too pragmatic, pragmatic of a take. Like maybe I should be more upset uh, or something um, that they, you know, have had these leads and lost them. I just think it's impressive that they had a lead at all in that game against the Jazz. Um, you know, they, they were down to so many guys and had to play that, you know, I, I, I guess people are calling it the mega bucks lineup, you know, which, which is a fun play on words because they're usually the mega buck, the starting lineup presented by mega bucks and they, everybody was six, uh, eight or, or larger. Um, and that lineup was actually really successful and they played really well. It's just that they're, they just didn't have enough on the bench to make up for Bledsoe and Brogdon being out, you know, not to mention Hill and, DiVincenzo and Sterling Brown, um, you know, and eventually Utah just got hot. I mean, they, they scored on 13 straight possessions and I don't know how often that happens, even <laughs> if you give them shots. Um, so, you know, eight and three since the all-star break, they've also, as I wrote about today for jsonline.com and the journal Sentinel, got to get a plug in there. That's a great, uh, that's a great plug. Also, you should be, as I often remind you to subscribe to the athletic, you should also, you know, have a, JS subscription as well. Yes, please. Thank you. Um, but as I wrote about, they've played as of Friday when they play the Heat, that'll be their 21st road game in the past 30. That's wild. And in the, fir- in, in the first 20 of those, 15 and 5. Like, they're, they're doing fine. Like, and anything else is just nitpicking. 
Um, yes, they they might be falling off a little bit. I know Bud was less than thrilled with their effort in the first quarter against the Falcons. <laughs> um, but you know they he, he he like laid into them. They responded. They won by seventeen. Ho hum, another Bucks game. Like you know, I, I think that they'll they'll if they if they you know kind of lose a little bit of their luster over the last few weeks. I think they'll still be fine. I think they have enough of a competitive drive that they're not going to fall into a losing skid. Um, they're not going to kind of just totally fall off. Uh, they also have enough games against like the Cavs and the Hawks and and teams like that where it's it'll break up any any issues. Um, but I think they'll they'll definitely ramp up for the playoffs and and they'll definitely you know get to where they need to be in terms of their mentality and their competitive edge. All right, uh, let's hop into some other questions uh, that we got from Twitter. Shout out to all of you. Uh, if you're not following Matt, you can follow him at Matt underscore Velasquez. Um, my first question for you, Matt, is why did you decide on an underscore? Did someone else have Matt Velasquez? Yeah, someone else had it. And I was I was late to the Twitter party. I, uh, I remember um, I was graduating in college in like 2010 and Twitter was starting to become a thing. Mm-hmm. And... I don't need Twitter. I already have Facebook. Like Twitter's for if you actually have a job or someone to actually <laughs> like, like share news with or information. With. And I don't have that. Um, so I, I mean, I'm not going to make one. And so I don't think I started on Twitter until like 2012 or 2013. I, oh, I was wow. really late. Yeah. So by the time I got into it, uh, someone had already claimed Matt Velasquez, which is fine. Um, you know, I didn't want to attach any numbers. I wanted it to be official yep. um, for, for work purposes. Um, so I just put the underscore because it seems like what people do. See, I had the, I could have got Eric name just like smashed together, still exists. No one has ever claimed it. Um, so like I could still get it, but I actually like the underscore. Like it, it clearly delineates my first and last name. Like I think it, I actually like the way that it looks. So, um, you know, I think even though you relate to the party, it worked out uh, just fine for you. Um, we're going to start with some road eats questions. Um, we have, uh, let's go with the best nu- questions. These are the best questions for sure. Uh, Nuclear Badger asks, when you are doing hashtag NBA road eats, if you if you don't follow Matt and I on Twitter, that is what we do when we go on the road and eat somewhere that we find noteworthy. Uh, we hit it with the hashtag NBA road eats and tweet out a picture of our food. Shout out to Buck Social Media Maven Nick Monroe for giving us the idea to do NBA road eats at the start of the season. Um, it was a good idea, and we are enjoying it. So Nuclear Badger asks, who picks the restaurant? How do you determine which place to go? So I'll. I'll start with who picks the restaurant uh, depends. It, it totally depends on if either of us have strong feelings about the city that we're in and the place that we want to go. Um, I think it also depends if we've heard something from someone. Uh, like if I, like for, let's say, Indianapolis, for example. Uh, we were looking for recommendations. Candace Buckner gave us Milk Tooth, which was fantastic. It was a good breakfast place. Uh, I think we largely focus on brunch and lunch spots because typically our dinners are, are not in a, a set town. So typically it ends up being brunches and lunches. We had Milk Tooth. And then when we were in Indianapolis, uh, we had a couple buck staffers tell us that Shapiro's is the place to go. So we said, okay, next time we're in Indianapolis, we'll go to Shapiro's. And that's exactly what we did. So, um, you know, I think first off, it starts with recommendations from people that we trust. And then after that, it, it kind of just depends if either of us have a good feel. 
Yeah. No, I think that sometimes it depends on who has more time to do the research. Yep. Like if if someone gets there earlier and someone else is flying in later, you know, maybe the, the person gets there earlier starts starts doing some scouting, starts figuring out what we want to do, uh, where we want to go. If we actually have time uh, to to get together, uh, if we're going to be close enough with our hotels, we need to wait till after shoot around, all that kind of stuff. I was gonna say hotels do matter as well. We have tried. So typically, Matt and I's uh, thought process on eating somewhere is that we'll try to eat places that we can walk to because then we feel less guilty about overeating, which we're almost certainly going to do if we go to a, a place that has delicious food. So a lot of the times we'll try to go equidistant from where our hotels are. And luckily, uh, this is real inside the Bucks beat for you. But Matt is a Hilton guy. I'm a Marriott guy because of our respective companies. Um, so we're typically not like very rarely have we been at the same hotel. I think only once this year. Um, Portland, maybe where were we at the same hotel? No. I forgot. No, not Portland. No, no, we were in Portland. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we it was, was that double. Yes. You stayed at a Hilton. Yes. So very rarely we were at the same hotel. So typically we'll try to work equidistant, which actually helps because you narrow down all of the places that you could eat because lots of cities are quite large. Um, we had someone else ask uh, Jake Bainman or Bonneman. I'm not 100% sure. Sorry for butchering the pronunciation of your last name. Best hashtag NBA Road Eats this season. Where where would you go, Matt? Ooh, I, there, there are too many to narrow down uh, just to one. Um, just off the top of my head, I feel – and I'm, I'm saddened because I don't know if I tweeted this one out. And it wasn't with you. It was in Portland with my cousin uh, who is over there uh, when I went to Pine State Biscuits. And had oh, you delicious, said it was very good. Delicious chicken sandwich on a biscuit, uh, everything you ever wanted. Um, and so that was great. Uh, I feel like our, our trips to Toronto have been bountiful. Yes. Uh, in, in, their, in their success. Um, you know, I – Again, you know, it's not with you guys, but I just went to a place in New Orleans called Willa Jean Brunch Spot. Um, you know that I had another like chicken sandwich, but I ordered. You know, in order, while I was waiting for the the chicken, I was like, "Oh, like there's cornbread as an appetizer. Let me get that." And the cornbread was like a loaf of cornbread, and it was <laughs> wonderful. It was so good. I had some before my chicken sandwich came out, and then I had some after. It was kind of like a dessert. Wow. Uh, I, I was I was very happy. Um, so, you know, those different trips stand out. And also I need to do a, a quick, you know, aside, Eric mentioned he's a Marriott guy. I'm a Hilton guy. I feel like maybe this is just like an NBA beat writer thing, but everybody hears that I'm a Hilton guy and they're like, what? <laughs> like, why would you, do, why would you do that? And, you know, I work for, uh, you know, the journal Sentinel, which is part of the USA Today network, also known as Gannett. Gannett has some, uh, you know, affiliations with Hilton. I used to be a Marriott guy before we got bought. Uh, then I, I splurged and used all my Marriott points on a, an awesome trip and lots of airline miles, and it was great. Uh, and then I basically had none left. And they're like, oh, we want you to book Hilton's. And anytime you don't book a Hilton, you have to explain why. And I was like, great, now I guess I'm doing Hilton's. <laughs> like I, I, I don't want to do that every time. That's annoying. So like now I'm a Hilton guy, and uh, you know I'm I'm pretty happy with it. So I'm just gonna that's that's the aside. But yeah, Eric, you can go into your your favorite roadies because like you know we've had so many. Um, I'm trying to th- what was the name of the little cafe we ate in San Francisco? Uh, Sutter Street Cafe, Sutton Street Cafe, um, uh, S- Sutter Street. Okay, um, I enjoyed that one. That was maybe the strangest place that we've ate at. 
um, because it was just a recommendation from a friend of yours that lives in San Francisco. It was literally this tiny little, I, I mean, I don't even know how many people you thought you, you could fit in there. Maybe eight people. Uh, this tiny little like coffee shop cafe. Eight is too many. Eight is too many. <laughs> Six people, maybe four people. Like it was tiny just in the the first floor of this uh, larger uh, larger office building. And it. I thought the sandwiches we had there were fantastic. Um, Momofuku, Toronto, I would put uh, near the top of the list. And then I thought... Both of our Indianapolis stops were fantastic. Milk Tooth um, might be that's like the the sweetest breakfast food I've ate on the road. I felt really guilty about it. It it literally just felt like I was eating dessert. Um, and Shapiro's the deli there is fantastic. Uh, I really enjoyed that and the matzo ball soup, fantastic stuff. So that would be uh, what I what I have for my best road eats. Uh, someone had asked. Um, What's your favorite off the court story slash moment about a current current Bucks player? And um, I know we both need to be careful because I think neither of us are trying to cross lines with uh, players and you know uh, the the privacy that they have. But uh, I think I can tell this one and not get in trouble. Um, it was I'm, I'm sure you can. And worst comes worst, you get in trouble. So that's fine. <laughs> uh, it was on the way to uh, the cafe we ate in San Francisco, um, and oh yeah. I I think this story is okay, right? Like this isn't no, totally fine. Totally fine. Okay, so uh, the Bucks practice in in downtown San Francisco. The cafe we were going to was about uh, probably like eight ten blocks away, um, maybe shorter than that. But we decided to to walk. So it was me. It was Matt. It was Kane. Um, so we were all gonna walk over there. And we went out of the front door of uh, this building where this gym was located. Uh, the Bucks went out the back door. So we had already walked two blocks, uh, one south, one east, or, or whatever. So we had made a little circle around the building, and we ran into the Bucks players, like right, right where they were. And a number of them had gotten on the first bus. But there was a second bus that was taking players back to the hotel and the hotel was close. Um, but still like you, you don't want NBA players walking out on the street. Like that's just not, that's not good. And autographed hounds were already aware where the bucks are practicing. So we get there and it's uh, me, Matt and Kane. And then we see Giannis and Sterling Brown. Uh, and then a, a couple a couple of buck staffers, trainers, PR, like all of that. And they decide that they are going to hoof it to the hotel. So they're going to walk as, I don't know, probably six, seven blocks to the hotel, which is, I mean, you're going to see Giannis Dedekumbo walking down the street in downtown San Francisco. And uh, us three beat writers are in the front. And we're walking and somebody cracks a joke that, oh, Giannis, you have, you know, you got your security detail today, right? And someone, and then I think Kane was like, yeah, this is the worst security detail you've ever had. Like <laughs> Matt and, <me laughs> and Eric are like not big enough. Like this is terrible for you. Uh, and then Giannis very matter of factly says like, no, like, you know, I, I would never have security around. Like if you have security around, then, then people know that, that you're somebody and, you know, they're going to try to figure out why, or they're going to try to ask you for stuff. And I just turned around and looked at him. I was like, Giannis, you do realize that you're seven feet tall. You have ice bags around your knees. You're in a 
practice jersey and you're walking down the streets of San Francisco right now. Like you're not Mr. Incognito. And he just like kind of looked at me. He was like, oh, yeah. Uh, and then we just like kept walking and we didn't mention it again. But it, it was to me, a, I think that's a, a very fun like off the court story because like it just kind of speaks to Giannis and like how he is as a human that he was just like, Oh, like if I had security guards, they'd really be able to tell who I was and not realizing he's one of the most recognizable NBA stars on the planet. He's seven feet tall. He's walking through downtown San Francisco with ice bags on his knees and a practice Jersey. Like people are going to see you, man. Uh, and it only got better from there because a few blocks later we needed to keep going straight to get to the cafe. Uh, the bucks needed to turn over and, and start walking towards their hotel. And as you, me and Kane are across the street, what, what did Giannis even yell to us? Like, uh, I think he said something to the effect of like, guys, like the hotel's this way. <laughs> and we were obviously not going to the hotel, but again, it was just one of those moments where you're like, Oh, okay. Like Giannis is just like a normal human, even though he is all those things. I just said, an NBA superstar, seven feet tall, all those things. Like he is just, you know, like a normal guy. So that would be, I, I think, my favorite off the court story moment from a current Bucks player that both you and I have experienced. So hopefully, I, I'm not going to force you to throw in your own moment. Feel free to if you want to, but I think that can cover. No, I will. Okay. I will. Um, well, we've had a few that we've already kind of tweeted about and shared, like you know the whole Nutella debate. <laughs> Obviously, you know, you know where I stand with that based on the way I said it. Yep. Um, you know, and then there's you know just. Just Tony Snell's general practice court <laughs> antics. Um, I, I don't know. There's a story. Two piece McNugget. Yeah. Two piece McNugget. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if that'll be good enough. But, you know, hey, whatever. Um, you know, I think that um, just a, a kind of a joke among us, just just Ursan Sunburns. I mean, that was that, that yep. the, the gift that kept on giving. Um, but uh, just this, this trip, um, I had some fun. You know, in the locker room after the game in uh, in San Antonio, I was kind of standing there looking around, trying to wait for guys to get dressed, get ready, and and Bled was like, "Hey, Matt," I was like, "Yeah," and he was like, "What's it? What's the Spurs record when a bat comes out?" <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, "I have no idea." Uh, I said, "But uh, but let me get somebody on it because I know it's happened a bunch." And luckily, uh, you know, my colleague at the JSJR at Radcliffe was already working on like a Bucks bat story uh, off the game. Uh, and, and so I said, Hey, JR, like, what's the record? And he, he did some research and he was like, Oh, like, including tonight, it looks like 4 0. So I told him, <laughs> and, and, and he was like, Man, like, you know, and of course, you know, all of that, that stuff, it, it really kind of lightened the mood and, you know, a, a, a locker room after a loss. And, you know, I think Chris asked, as Brooke was like, Hey, what happened with you? I thought you were going to like run toward the bat. <laughs> <laughs> and Brooke had to explain that he was like, no, I stood my ground. Like I, if he was going to come to me, like I was accepting of that, you know, and, and all this stuff. And, you know, guys were kind of just joking about it. And obviously Giannis you know, talked about how he doesn't like ants or roaches or anything like that. So that was good. That was a fun time. That's a, an off the court moment. Uh, and just actually today in Miami, I, um, I, I intentionally, uh, I have a, an Avengers shirt that my wife got for me last summer. I was like, yeah, I'm going to wear it. You know, and the new trailer came out today. I brought it with me on the trip. Um, I'm going to wear it. And I, and you know, cause the last time I wore it to a, a shoot around, you know, I, I think Kane asked Brooke if he saw it and Brooke was like, no, I didn't see it. So I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to Brooke today and we'll, we'll talk about the Avengers. And the first thing that happens when I walk in is Giannis sees me and he like kind of grabs my shirt. He's like, Oh, you don't deserve this. You're not a real fan. 
And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> like, like what? Like, you know, why be so hostile? And, uh, and he's like, no, you're not a real fan. You got to take this off. You're not even... I'm like, yeah, have you seen Captain Marvel? And he was like, no. And I was like, well, I have. And <laughs> the other movies. And that, that, that quieted him down for just a couple minutes. And then Brooke and I talked about the, uh, he hadn't seen the trailer yet, um, but he, he planned to. And we discussed the intricacies of of comic book movies and um, his his and my feelings toward X Men and playing the Avengers video game for Sega like back in the day. Um, just some generally uh, generally fun stuff, um, you know, stuff that you know you. I feel like most normal people would want to talk to Brooke about. Uh, <laughs> that's that's kind of what I want to talk to Brooke about most of the time, uh, especially when new movies are coming out and trailers and and things like that. That like you know just based on years of of kind of you know, reading about him and kind of getting to know what his personality is. Like that's, that's like stuff that like, I mean, we're the same age. Like, so yeah. that, like, that's like stuff we talk about. So, you know, it's kind of just fun. And I will say Brooke does always want to talk about those things. He does um, all the time. And like, he's totally down. Um, <laughs> and I think uh, a throw in, it's not really an off the court thing. It's, it's definitely an on the court thing, but just you and I going up to him and asking about that, that shot that he almost pulled from like 40, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that, that that never actually yeah. turned into any reporting, but it was just like, like, really? <laughs> like, were you going to pull that? Um, you know, so, so that's fun. Now, that's just some of the, the, you know, regular life on the beat type stuff. All right. Uh, another question from Joe Giuseppe, uh, Polka Tornado. How close is our favorite sideline beauty queen, Katie, to achieving an acceptable Aussie accent? And I got to say, this is the most offensive question I received. Because this is, this is a plant or something. <laughs> Like one, this has to be someone just like one, this, maybe this is Katie's burner. I don't really know. Um, but entirely too complimentary of Katie and then acceptable Aussie accent. She is not close. It, as I've said before, it is her worst accent. She is not good at an Aussie accent. She's She's good at accents. She is. She's a good impressionist. She, she typically is quite good at them. But she cannot get the Aussie accent. She just can't. No, no, she can't. And and that's fine. Everybody has like that gap. I, I'm sure some of the best impersonators, you know, can't do certain things. Like that, that's okay. Absolutely. But but she keeps trying and just keeps digging that hole. And <laughs> you know, I I really I want to credit her for trying, but at this point, it's like you got to know when to stop. Yeah, I really feel like she just needs to take like a month off from it and just like have a new approach at some point, like, you know, like just, just take a month off and then, you know, maybe you'll be able to figure it out. So uh, to answer your question, Joe, no, uh, she, she is struggling mightily with her Australian accents. So. Did, you, did you do air quotes when you said Joe? Cause did, <laughs> Joe, quote unquote. yeah, Katie, you're not good at it. Um, let's see. Brian Harmon wants to know how surprised are you that you're covering the the team with the best record in the league, or do you think you would be covering the best team in the NBA at the start of the season? I would say I did not. I thought they'd be good. I thought they'd be a 50 win team. I did not see a 60 win team. No, I, I did not either. I think that I either wrote or said on a podcast or said on the radio or some such place that I fully expected them to be a 50 win team. I thought, you know, 44 wins last year, um, you know, would signify a terrible year this year. They obviously had a better coach, a uh, better roster, a, a better overall situation. You would fully expect that all those changes would be worth at least six wins. Um, but to the fact that they have 51 wins right now with 14 games to go, I mean, I, I don't think 
anyone can say they saw this coming unless they, you know, are one of the Bucks players or coaches or executives or somebody involved with the team. Because I didn't see it coming. Yeah, no, I I would totally agree there. Um, all right, we can keep some of these actual basketball questions rolling. Uh, Brad's burner wants to know. One million dollars on the line around the world format, 10 shots, one ball, empty gym, three point contest of current bucks. Who are you taking and why? Um, I would guess we're going to have the same answer. Um, but I will say Nikola Mirotic and the why is I. So when you go to an NBA practice and again, I, I, I can never say this enough. We don't actually get to watch the practice. We just get to watch like the shooting drills after practices and, you know, after shoot arounds. But in those moments, I have never seen a more impressive shooting display than the one I saw from Nikola Mirotic on his second day in Milwaukee. He was 30 feet out, just bombing and hitting everything. Like I, I, and again, NBA players make all of the shots after practice. Like they all shoot an insanely high percentage, but Mirtich is just on a different level for me. Who would you take? Uh, give me Tony Snell. Uh, I feel, I feel like I've seen enough success from Tony going back to the Jason Kidd three point contest where, you know, it's basically around the world and he he won a high number of those. Uh, he still competes in a three-point contest. It's it's him and Brooke Lopez as teammates, and then uh, Pat Connaughton, and, and I think now Ursan's taking the spot because uh, used to be Thon Maker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they are you know they go around and it's a team-based thing. But I feel like I've just seen too much of Tony being successful in three-point competitions after practice. That's- Obviously, not everyone takes part in these competitions, so we don't see everyone doing them. Uh, but I think that extra practice would help, um, and and so I, I think. Yeah, and, and Tony's very, you know, everybody who sees him on the court and stuff, he's a, he's a quiet guy, all that stuff. But, like, you know, he, he's trash-talking in a way that's just, like, totally unique. He, he's uplifting but biting at the same time, um, you know, and, and he's, he's very competitive, um, definitely uh, gets in guys' heads. Um, but in, it's still, like, while being generally nice, uh, he just basically repeats the same things over and over again uh, until it drives you insane. Um, but... <laughs> But, you know, it, it's a good strategy. So I, I think that just seeing enough success from him, um, I, I would go with him. All right. Uh, Jason Spitz asked, this is a question I've answered before, so I'm not going to tell you my answer before uh, you answer, but I'll just toss it up to you. What team in the East would be the Bucks' toughest matchup in a playoff series? I'm curious if you will pick the same team that I did. <sighs> I feel like I get this question a lot, and I always I always just kind of like muddle through it and like say, oh, them." <laughs> <laughs> um, they're all tough in their own way. My problem is that I haven't seen the Bucks actually play against the Sixers yet, like the new yeah. look Sixers. So like I can't like give them definitively as an answer um, because like I just don't know. Like I don't know what that actually looks like when they physically get on the court together. And so I, I'm going to go with the with the Celtics. And my reasoning is is because that's probably the first that that's probably the team they're going to face in the, in the in the second round. And so that challenge it just supersedes all other challenges because I think it's one they'll actually have to face, the team that knocked them out last year, a team that is, is chock full of talent and has under, underachieved this season. Um, but once you get into the playoffs, all bets are off. Um, and so you know, they, they have the, um, 
the the roster and the players and the the options um, to to play differently, to pick and pop Al Horford, uh, to make things really difficult um, for the Bucks defense, to force them to have to adjust, uh, play really their best basketball in order to win a seven game series. So uh, I, I think that there's a strong argument to be made for the Raptors, um, but just based on the way the standings are, like if they get to play the Raptors, it'll, it'll be in the Eastern Conference Finals and. I think it's just a gimme that that, that team is going to be tough. Uh, we have the same answer. Um, I think what stands out to, to me about the Celtics is obviously Horford. Um, I think when you're looking at pick and pop bigs around the Eastern Conference, I think he's the best of them. Um, I've said again and again, Joel, Joel Embiid can't shoot, uh, despite people thinking he's a shooter. Like he's a 30% career three-point shooter. So I don't think the Bucks would really be scared of that. Also, they have Brooke Lopez that they can throw at him and you know, just kind of deal uh, with him being huge. Uh, then, you know, like Gasol hasn't looked entirely comfortable in Toronto. Serge Ibaka is, is really good, but not as good as he used to be. I just think Horford's the best of the best of the pick and pop guys. And then, you know, I, like I do think uh, it's tough to figure out clutch and uh, all of those different things and what they actually mean. But like, I, I don't think that you actively want to go up against Kyrie Irving in do or die situations. Like I just think he he is very good at it, and his one on one ability takes on a, an added layer of importance in the postseason. Just because he can always create his own shot and uh, he can hit really tough shots, and uh, that might not be the most important skill uh, in in you know like an eighty two game schedule, um, but. In a sixteen, in a, in a when you need to win sixteen games, like yeah, you know, I think it could be a little bit more important there. So uh, I would I would say the the Celtics as well uh, for for my answer to that question. But I agree. Every time I get asked that, you know, I can kind of convince myself of all of the other ones, um, but in the end, I just end up coming back to the Celtics every time. Um, Ellie asks, uh, who will win the dunk contest, Eric or Chris? Um, you know, honestly, I think I don't want to call it. I wouldn't call it. That's not it's not something I would do. Uh, but Middleton has 15. Bledsoe has 12. Or at least that's what basketball reference says. I don't know what uh, the video that the Bucks have says. Uh, I know Chris always talks about going to the video and seeing where it's at. But um, that's what basketball reference has that i think that's the number we've been going off of this year uh middleton has a three dunk lead with 14 games left that seems significant for guys that have 15 and 12 dunks on the year yeah i think that's really significant um i'm looking now on nba.com because i i have bookmarked their pages uh to figure out how, what they're at and yes 15 and 12 is correct um whatever video they have is whatever uh, the official <laughs> NBA stats say 15 to 12. Um, I, I, I'm going to call it and say it's insurmountable. Um, that, that's just going to be what I do. Uh, I think that when you have, you know, these numbers this far in the season uh, and you're at a point where, you know, maybe when they wrap up the one seed, they sit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's fewer, there's fewer games to work with. Um, I, I think, I think Chris has got it. I think, I think he's got it. I, I don't know. I don't think there's anything like there's a a spread that he needs to cover or anything like that. I think it's just you know whoever gets more. Yeah, I believe um, it's straight up. Yeah, I think it's I think it's straight up. So I, I think you know I feel comfortable saying that, that Chris has got it. 
Um, but you know, um, would it shock me if, if blood caught him? Like, I guess not. Um, but if I had to put money down, I'd, I'd put it on Chris to, to hold on. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think it, it feels, uh, it feels pretty good. Um, all right. Last ones here. Uh, I'm going to combine a question from Liam and a question from brother Joshua. Um, not my brother. That's his Twitter name, brother Joshua. Um, not my brother either. <laughs> good to hear. Um, what are each of your nine man playoff rotations, uh, with everyone being healthy? Uh, that's from Liam and Joshua asks, how big of a player rotation do you think Bud will use in the playoffs? I think Liam is probably right in thinking it'll be a nine man rotation, but I do want to say that I think it could end up being, uh, matchup specific. Like there, there could be. Bud doesn't do matchup specific. He doesn't do any of that. If you listen, (laughs) yeah, he also doesn't watch a whole lot of video during the regular season. I think those things will change in the postseason. Um, But nine man to me feels like uh, you have the five starters. Uh, Then I'm going to add. I have the same answer here, but go ahead. I'm going to add Bledsoe, or so to Bledsoe. I'm going to add George Hill at point guard. Uh, then at power forward, I'm going to throw Urson in there, uh, because that kind of seems what, what Bud is about. Um, if that's, I think that's fair to say. Um, then from there, I think if Sterling Brown is helpful, Sterling Brown is one, and then you're going to throw Nikola Mirotic in there as well. And I think maybe Tony Snell bumps out, but that's the one where I get a little bit uncomfortable. Maybe Tony Snell stays in and Sterling Brown bumps out. I don't really know. What, what, how, how do you kind of see the, that nine-man rotation? Yeah, uh, Snell's in it. Uh, if, if it's nine men, uh, Brown is out. I, uh, Tony Snell is one of, I believe, two players who has played in every game for the Bucks this season. Yeah. Uh, can, you name, can you name the other one? Brooke Lopez? Yes, yes. So Tony and Brooke have played every game so far. Um, I think that Tony, just with his three-point shooting, um, he's basically at 40% right now, 39.9 uh, for the season. Uh, his length, he's consistent. His versatility, like he, he's going to be that, that Middleton backup guy um, consistently because that's, that's what you need, right? Like you need a backup for Middleton and backup for, you know, Brogdon and Blood. So, I mean, with, with Hill and, and Snell, you can cover those like top three positions. Yeah. Uh, in the front court, you have, you know, Ersan and Miritich. And those guys can handle all of that. I mean, I, I don't know if there's any time where you would say you needed Gasol instead of Ursan uh, or instead of Giannis or whatever when, when Brooke Lopez is off the court, uh, unless it's to go against Embiid. Uh, yeah, maybe. maybe. But none of those, those are questions we have to answer later. Um, I, I don't think any time in the, in the Celtics series you'd say you're so afraid of Aaron Baines uh, that you can put Ursan on him. Um, so I think that you know, for me, in addition to the starters, it'd be Miritich, Ilyasova, Hill, and Snell. Uh, those are the guys who I feel like Bud has leaned on the most off the bench. Uh, and then if there had to be another guard, like if he went 10 deep, maybe he'll go d- 10 deep uh, in the first round, uh, depending on how that series goes, just to kind of try and save some guys uh, and save their legs a little bit for the second round. Um, to, again, depending on how it goes, but I think that, you know, it'd be the the – guys that i said I, I think snell stays in there yeah i think that's fair um you know i always think of sterling as like you know um like a bigger body wing that tony snell maybe isn't like tony snell can test shots well but he's not particularly physical um so sterling does give you a little of that and you know i was kind of thinking about like you know Kawhi. maybe you 
you want someone like that because you know when Malcolm Brogdon was has covered him this year, it's just been a disaster. Like Malcolm just isn't big enough for him, and, and I don't know if Tony Snell is either. But I, I would agree. Tony Snell's consistently been in the rotation. He plays all the time, and again, it it's probably not a ton of standout minutes, even though he's added a bunch of stuff to his game as of late. Uh, and he's made me do a bunch of Tony Snell did what updates within just like single games. Um, so yeah, I think you're probably right. It, it probably is Snell instead of Brown, but yeah, that, to me, that seems like the nine guys. And then, you know, you, you pull in and out, um, you pull guys in and out depending on matchups or, uh, if you want to get fresher legs or whatever, maybe. So, that's going to be it for us, Matt. We did it. We, we got through the mailbag. There were some other questions, but I think this covers uh, the best of the best. So a shout out to all of you for tweeting those in and then now listening. Uh, Matt, I'm going to let you enjoy Miami nightlife. I know you have some clubs that you want to get out to yet tonight. Um, so I'm, I'm going to let you go ahead and do that. Yeah, I, I really need to do some investigative reporting to see <laughs> if, if Miami nightlife is really undefeated. <laughs> And how that is the case and what it means. No, I'll probably just sleep. <laughs> well, either way, thank you for doing this. Uh, so big thanks to Matt Velasquez. You can get all of his work at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Uh, Matt, what kind of subscription plans, specials do you have going at the moment? Oh, I should probably know. Uh, all I know is that if you're going to be a new subscriber, we always have uh, great deals uh, for for those types of people, uh, if you're already a subscriber, keep subscribing. Like, there's always good stuff. Like, not just not just me. Like, you get all like the political stuff and the entertainment stuff and the business stuff. Like, stuff in your community, watchdog, investigative stuff. Like, mm-hmm. what I do is is fine, but like everything else is like really important. Like, stuff that <laughs> in your life uh, a lot more than the Bucks does. Um, so, like, you know, the papers won like three Pulitzer prizes in the past like ten years or so. Um, pretty good. So. Uh, I would say uh, if you don't subscribe, uh, please do. We would love to have you. Uh, and if you already subscribed, thank you. Bucks coverage, fun, other stuff, important. I, I think that sums up what our lives are pretty much, Matt. Um, so I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Um, as always, subscribe to The Athletic or you know subscribe to this podcast on all of the things that you subscribe to podcasts with. Matt also has a podcast with the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel that he does with our good friend J.R. Ratcliffe. Uh, J.R.'s had strangely weird and quirky interviews with players as well. If you're into that kind of thing this year, um, he got Brooke Lopez J.R. to talk also- about Jar also introduced a petty horn uh, on one of our recent podcasts when we talk about petty subjects. He, he blasts the petty horn. Uh, so, so if you're if you're down with that type of stuff, because you know who doesn't love NBA pettiness, like you know, hop on. You can listen to the, the petty horn. All right, so you can find that on iTunes and all the places that you listen to podcasts, just like you can find Lockdown Bucks. So big thanks to Matt Velasquez. So with all that being said, for Matt, for Frank. For Eric, this has been Lockdown Box. We'll talk to you guys after the weekend.